And thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. It's a beautiful Tuesday, and if it's a Tuesday, you know what that means. It's time for Change Matters Solutions. We do this each and every Tuesday here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. It's 7 o'clock here in Big D, Dallas, Tejas. It is uh, 8 o'clock on the East Coast, and it's 5 o'clock on the West Coast. If you're in the mountain time zone, hey, you do the math. We've got another great show lined up for you, so stick and stay and don't go away. And remember, tell a neighbor, tell a friend to join the Change Matters Movement. I'm your host, Kenny Hendricks. And I am your host, one more time, Colette Williams, right here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. And as they say, stick and stay, Kenny Hendricks' favorite line, stick and stay, don't go away. I think that's real key. Stick and stay, don't go away. But you know what? One thing that I want to make sure we talk about is everybody wants to talk about the weather. Well, I look outside here in sunny Southern, that's sunny Southern California, and then I find out what's going on in Big D, Big Tejas. Dallas, Texas, and the weather there mirrors the weather here, or the weather here mirrors the weather there, and folks just don't get it. They don't get it. The weather is practically the same in either place. God gives us weather everywhere. It's practically the same. When I call home, she says, oh, it's beautiful today. It's wonderful. Oh, it's about 70-something. Well, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's about 70-something here. So you know what? Let's forget all that other stuff. The weather is just about the same. And folks just say, Dallas, Texas. Uh, oh, come on, get with it. Get with the program. So Kenny, I'm so glad that we've got Gerald Saunders with us, Sanders with us. And welcome back, Gerald. We are going to continue with part two of my empty chair, the assault and battery. Gerald, the racist, The you? racist assault and battery. Yes. Don't yes. forget the racist part. Yeah, we got to get that in there. How are you doing, Gerald? I am doing well. Thank you so much for asking. And clearly, you all are doing great. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on listening to the show, so great show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we are glad to have you back with us. We're really glad to have you back with us. We've got to continue to talk about it. And, and although we bring a lot of guests and we have a lot of shows that are controversial a lot of shows where we don't hear the same kind of discussion on other shows and I'm going to say that but you're one of those rare people and I'm so glad that you were referred and that we have created a relationship that is is going to continue and to hear your story to hear what you have endured at the hands of, we won't mention it, I'll let you do that. But I really believe wholeheartedly that everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to hear it. And when the movie comes out, everybody needs to go see it because this is reality. This is the country that we live in. And the last show was about homeless issues, people who were unhoused. And we live in a society where there is no compassion for people. The inhumanity is at its highest and we've lost it. We've absolutely lost it. And for some people it's okay. And for others it isn't, but others don't speak out when they should, they don't speak out. And one of the things that we do here at ITRN, we're working with intention. We are creating a purposeful, media foundation here because stories have to be told and these are they're not rare but we don't hear about these all the time and your story is one for the books you this and what you have endured is I don't want to call it historical because the racism is alive and well but you've got an extraordinary story and we've got to hear it so let's, let's start from the beginning where we left off when you were with us for part one. So let's start with Gerald. Let's get your story told. Let's start you from the beginning and then let's catch up. So start from the beginning, Gerald, and tell us about your story, My Empty Chair. Sure. Um, my life has been a life of uh, entrepreneurship starting at a very early age. Uh, at age 10, I was working in family businesses, and I got the business bug, 
you know, I'd run home from school. I was really short, stand on the re- on the, a beer case, believe it or not, so I could reach the register. And I liked making the register ring so quickly that it would never stop. So I got a lot of tips. People thought, you know, hey, this kid is pretty cool. And um, so the family went from a uh, local, you know, neighborhood store to a larger business that was known all over Detroit. Uh, my parents, they made significant uh, monies and it transformed, I guess it was a moving on up story. And uh, eventually we moved into uh, manufacturing business. We brought those ornamental storm doors to Michigan, manufactured and, you know, and I continued, I went off to college. Again, the business bug was there, worked in corporate America, had great success there. In fact, was personally selected by uh, president and CEO to um, to develop a, an equitable promotion plan for AT&T, but I always wanted my own business. So I launched the writing company. It was Gyra Consulting Inc., DBA, the writing company. And my first client was uh, MEMC, an international corporation. I had done some work with them and literally it was an environment where they thought I could do anything. I mean, they paid me just oodles of money and I, you know, I was engaged in accounting and systems design, a worldwide training effort. And then, uh, in fact, um, I was working for a company when I was introduced uh, to MEMC and my contract said that I could not work for any company that, um, uh, that my company had placed me at. But MEMC um, told the company I was working for, if they didn't allow them to do business with me, they were going to cut the contract. So there I got my first contract. And then I went on to Anheuser-Busch and eventually built this company over a period of time into one of the largest, uh, most successful writing communications firms in the St. Louis area. I was ultimately serving Anheuser-Busch, Union Pacific, Hallmark Card Company, Monsanto Corporation, working on uh, the major build of the stadium where uh, the Rams play. Um, I was just, my company was doing exceedingly well. And I decided to take it to a whole different level. So I wanted a governmental contract. I visited Washington, took our brochure, uh, was in a session with IRS and they gravitated towards me and we had communications. I left that green and gold brochure behind. And that brochure uh, months later prompted IRS to call me about what turned out to be one of the most high profile writing contracts in the nation. And thus began the story of my empty chair, the Gerald Sanders story. With that, the the things that took place, how long had you been in business with with the writing company? Wasn't it about a, a year? No, seven years. I had built the writing company, was recognized across the country as a one of the, I mean, our reputation, we never had a grammatical correction in seven years. We had a quality process that was second to none. We developed technical documentation. We worked with enterprise. We developed diversity training uh, for St. Louis senior manager manager seminars, which were the CEOs of enterprise. Um, Major corporations in the St. Louis area would convene every year and actually teach the training we developed to their senior managers. So the CEOs would do that. So we had Union, like I said, Union Pacific, we had developed a very strong customer base across seven, seven, eight years of performance. Right. So you would have the contract with the IRS for one year, was it? For one year. So in year eight, right about year eight is when we secured the writing company contract. We were doing fabulous before we went to IRS, Internal Revenue Service and was called upon by them to revamp what they call taxpayer notices. And those are those notices that no one wants to receive every year telling you you owe money, et cetera. And they were very difficult, very convoluted. And in fact, we discovered 
there were notices that intermingled Spanish and English that were being sent out. There were legal errors that we found. So they were, they needed to be overhauled. We clear, cleaned up the language. We made them graphically appealing. We changed the way the format and the readable. actually developed, before I had the contract, the process that could be used to actually let the contract. So they didn't have a process prior to you getting there? They had an internal process, but what I was doing and what my company was doing is we were doing, uh, we were, we, what we were charged with doing was essentially not what IRS had been able to do. That's why they came outside looking for someone like us because they had gotten into this paradigm of writing and creating these notices. And they, they were just uh, incapable of breaking that paradigm and really bringing uh, together all the components needed to make them readable to very simple readability for American public. So the way that the work would flow through the IRS, which was, I mean, all across the nation, I was interfacing with people everywhere because IRS has a legal department, has notice clarity, has all of these different departments. And these notices are literally assembled with legal language and all of that information. Well, we had to coordinate and have a process for not only initially drafting the notices, but for getting reviews and moving them up successfully higher and higher in the organization until they were actually read and signed off by the commissioner and number two in charge. So I was dealing with the highest level of individuals at IRS and in fact was uh, making uh, uh, presentations to the commissioner in the commissioner's office who has internal revenue service. So you're doing all of this. You're doing all of this writing. You're putting all this information out. So you're basically correcting things that, that were either confusing or convoluted material or material that was just not really clear to the individual that receives it. So you changed everything. Is that correct? That is correct. And in fact, um, you know, one thing that was, uh, I guess, not well received is we were a black firm and IRS has a league of attorneys. Well, I actually found errors yes. that some of their top attorneys had made. Yes. And so uh, we were not only rewriting and, and, and making notices clear to understand, we were sanitizing these notices. Uh, from a legal standpoint and from a, uh, uh, just from even a process standpoint, because sometimes uh, uh, citizens were being instructed to do the wrong things or weren't being instructed at all. So we had literally interviewed everyone. We began the process by surveying everyone across the entire agency nationwide to get their opinion on what was wrong with notices. We surveyed taxpayers. We collected that information and used that information to inform us on how we would proceed with the project in order to produce high-end, high-quality notices that were accurate and easy to read. Let me ask you this: When and we've heard, you know we've read your story and heard the story and watched the videos. So when things started going, let's just call it going south with with the other people that were involved in this, did you have any? Uh, warning ahead of time, any forewarning? Were there signs? Were there any things? You know, sometimes a lot of times you can look back and say, maybe there were some red flags. Were there any red flags that you could look back and say, maybe I saw this early and maybe you just didn't notice at the time? Because sometimes it's hard to see those things in real time. Was there anything there or did this thing come at you just completely blindside you like a ton of bricks? I saw it from the very beginning. I'll never forget um, 
IRS had not secured all the money it needed for the contract. And I told IRS uh, contracting in December of, I guess it was 1997, which is when I got the go ahead on the contract. Uh, I said, if I don't get approval to move, the deadline will not occur. The deadline was, I think it was August, no, July, no, it was August of 1998. So what I did is um, I had 12 prototype notices. Now what the prototypes were is they were the most difficult, most complex, uh, most frequently issued notices at IRS. And I had developed two of the prototypes, rewritten those, in order to get the contract, because I rewrote those, sent them back to IRS at the IRS's request. Remember, you may remember if from the last time I appeared, I said that was my charge. Prove you can do the work. They gave me their two complex, most complex notices. I was to have them back by end of week. I got them there like days early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. So yeah. um, when I arrived, uh, these prototype notices, I was scheduled to deliver all of them in February because they were still, they had issued a purchase order to get it started. And then we were going to have a deliverable because every contractor purchase order has to have a deliverable. So I was going to deliver those notices and then continue and complete them. They were going to issue the contract right after I delivered the prototype. I get to the building and they treasury is, has people there waiting. When I walk through the door, they literally grab these notices out of my hand and ran to Treasury. I mean, they had been looking all over. Uh, uh, Treasury had called, called, called. They couldn't wait to see the product that the minority, the Black firm produced, yeah. right? I knew that was odd. So um, that, and then one, there was once just a series of incidents, um, constant intervention, um, uh, unnecessary meetings. And I will never forget when Rob Wilkerson, I'm going to call his name, flew to St. Louis to tell me Treasury wanted to meet with me. I could see the concern on his face. And I'll never forget, he told, he said, he told them, uh, this is not just any small business, but I always thought what Rob really meant is this is not just, you know, your, per, your perception of a low-performing minority firm. So um, that was really key to me. And so I saw, and then I got a call, believe it or not, from one of the saboteurs who happened to be a black female because there were some black union females who were engaged in actually trying to cause us to fail lied and so treasury just unleashed them to do their deadly deeds and i'm going to call the name janet delvison uh uh vanel da costa all those individuals it was just incredible how they were became part wow. of the Wow. So um, once that happened, once I began to see these things unfold and Treasury called us into the meeting, uh, I knew I knew there was a real problem. But I was getting ready to say that Janet Delvinson called me and told me that Treasury had said they didn't want a black person to have the contract. Just they flat out, not just flat want, out. Just, yeah, they, they did flat, not. She told me those were the rumblings that Treasury did not want a black person to have the contract. And interestingly, Janet Delvison went to the meeting with, with me with uh, Treasury. She and a whole room of other people were there. And when she, um, I was, I, I made a statement about a fireplace. I really like fireplaces, right? And Treasury had this really old, beautiful fireplace in the room. And she, Janet made a statement as well. And she, uh, Treasury uh, said, uh, instructed contracting that Janet Delvison was never to be brought back again in another meeting. Really? Yes. Because were they were they thinking that she was aligning herself with you or she she was uh uh I she was guess. black. Oh that was it. We that was bring it. her back. She nope. she was black, I was black. So yeah. no, I, I had the contract but she no. But she they was black. yeah she was black. That's that's really pretty much what that was. So do you think that there has been a change since you went through all of this with the IRS or do you think that things are still the same? I think things are the same and I think that they may very well be worse because the AA program was sort of in its heyday um, at the time that I had the contract. But now with 
with the you know women owned white women owned uh, recognition of those firms as quote being a you know, sort of a protected class mm -hmm. and um, I doubt uh, I know I can assure you that there are still uh, black firms that are uh, being uh, being literally marginalized and uh, mar not just marginalized but destroyed destroyed, destroyed, destroyed yes. in the contracting arena you know. Yeah. Um, Today, without yeah. question. Let me ask you yeah. something about 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 your uh, background, um, the writing company. That is something that most people don't think about. You know, a company that comes in and do and and does that sort of work for large corporations, government, and things like that. How did you decide to get into that particular discipline, writing? Whether it's I don't know, it's technical documents uh, and all these sorts of. How did you? make that decision to go in that route? Interestingly, I have a journalism, uh, a degree in journalism. Uh, I also have a very, uh, a minor in business and um, just, uh, you know, had, again, worked in a variety of areas in uh, my, a very strong accounting background. So all of those things sort of uh, prepared me for when I went to AT&T and I became a manager there. Uh, one of the things that I did, and I'd never done it before, but they tested me, and so I had a proficiency for it, which I later discovered I actually did, was designing major computer systems. Hmm. So oh. I would design systems, and then you would document systems. Right. Well, AT&T had just implemented a new process of documentation. When I came on board, I was the first person in the corporation to speedily get all these documents up to date. And I was applauded for it. So um, the the right, you know, I remember uh, thinking, you know, I'm designing these systems, I'm documenting, and I thought, boy, you know, um, there are corporations that probably need this. So, um, I, like I said, I've always had this thirst for my own business. So uh, when the president of AT and T, I told you last time, when I slipped a note, went up, you know, to his to his rooftop office and left, slipped a note under the door concerned about racism and the lack of promotions of African-Americans. And he had his people meet with me and they were going to choose me to develop promotion policy for all of AT&T. By then I had fallen out of love with AT&T because of what I had experienced and what I had seen and I was ready to start my own business. So that to me seemed like a logical, uh, a logical, um, business, and it seemed like one that would have great needs. So I initially began documenting technical systems, but then we added another division called Depeche Advertising and Design, and we began to develop promotional materials as well, do serve. We did surveys. We were public involvement firms for like major highway projects. We worked with the Missouri Department of Conservation. We were working with Hallmark Card Company. We were just working with literally everyone in the, we were, we were really expanding in the private sector. And I thought, well, let me even take this up another level by getting some governmental work and some of these really major contracts. And we proved we were prepared for it because despite the nonstop sabotage. We never missed a deadline and we were under budget and we produced what everyone at IRS, and I still have the evaluation, called the best notices in IRS's history. Wow. So, Gerald, as I said to you before, you were just too good. You were just too good and you're Black. You were just entirely too good. And because you were able to demonstrate that you are an expert in your field and you were you were an overachiever and you did what they wanted you to do. They did what the contract spelled out. They expected something different. They expected you to fall or not meet deadlines or produce substandard work or they expected something else because as you said, they didn't want a black contractor to begin with. And it Go ahead, go ahead. I, I want to be very clear about this fact. There were white people at IRS who were seriously fighting for and rooting for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, seriously. When that was identified, they actually removed them. The contracting officers, Beverly Cox and Pam Kitchens, they wanted a fair environment. And they were so 
proud. I mean, there were times I came out of meetings and people gave me hugs because the, of the presentation or the quality of the work. But what happened is there were two treasury executives, Lisa Ross McGonagall, who is the wife of James J. McGonagall, and Nancy Killifer, who is sitting on the board of Avon Corporation and Facebook, which, by the way, I sent a letter to both asking for her removal, and they've done nothing, so I'm going to take another step. I also, uh, if you'll look at the um, uh, internet, you will see that President Barack Obama appointed Nancy Killifer in, uh, as his chief performance officer. Again, I sent, was able to get into the White House, let them know what her involvement had been. And interestingly, she rescinded her appointment. But I want to be clear, there were two women who were orchestrating the, uh, the, the yes. removal of my contract, and that was Nancy uh, Killifer, Killifer. Mm -hmm. yes, Nancy Killifer, exactly, and Lisa Ross McGonagall. And Lisa Ross McGonagall literally almost went into hiding for 20 years. It took me literally 18 to 19 years to find her, and we did the digging. And, really? and, and it, it, it's, it's the, the old thing about the bureaucracy, whether it's corporate America or whether it's the government. And again, I mentioned to you, I, I learned this a long time ago, being having spent 40 years in corporate America. It's not always about doing the best job. No. It is not always doing about that. There's politics involved. There's yes. the discrimination. There's the systemic dis uh, racism. All these things do exist. And it's really interesting to hear people sit there and say, you know, these things do not exist. The, uh, systemic racism. Just uh, we've had a black president, so how can we be a racist country because we've had a black president? But you are are living proof that these things right. happen. So, what is um, what are you doing these days, and what what's your next move? Well, my uh, next move is um, because of the racial assault, and it was a shock and awe campaign. The federal government literally executed a shock and awe campaign to destroy my business. And the goal was to do to me what they've done to so many minority businesses, which is mm -hmm. to um, destroy you at such a level that there's so much stress in your life that literally you can't live. Okay. Right, right. So, um, but so with that said, one of my abiding goals is to get what I am due. I was subject to a horrific racial assault. I have an evidentiary file that is unmatched. I have anything you need to support and substantiate what I say. And I want to be compensated because I lost my U.S. patent during that process. I lost, they destroyed my firm. They sullied my reputation. And what is often not uh, forgotten is the follow-on work. The lady who received my contract didn't even have a firm when I was awarded the contract. That's what I find just... I, I, and it I, goes back to racism. They'd rather give it to a nothing than deal with a black... So she company. didn't even have a firm, and she said, I'll she just develop something well, and do this. She was working under level with uh, with some people with Treasury and some other people. She actually, I later found out, was part of the reviewing and trying to find fault with my notices. So what they did is when I got the contract, because I got this contract before Treasury intended for me to get the contract. See, Treasury never intended for me to get the contract. So IRS let the contract. Treasury, Treasury goes, oh, a black lady has this contract. She puts Susan Kleiman and they, Susan Kleiman hurries into business. And the whole plan is to move my contract to her. Now, at the time, I had 21 employees and she was only Susan Kleiman. And even when a, an independent report was con, uh, uh, completed by a court adjudicated expert uh, in federal contracting and signed by the firm's attorneys, attesting to the fact that she only had a mail drop. She still didn't. There were like a series of contractors she'd hand this work out to as late as, what was it, 2008 or nine. So um, 
the bottom line is that what I'm looking for and what I want is I want what anyone else who was in my position would want. Would want. I, I was yeah. subject to a racial assault and I need to be compensated by the government that facilitated that racial assault because assault, inspector yeah. generals, FBI, all of them were involved because these high level treasury executives uh, had the power that they had. They engaged every investigative arm almost of the U.S. government to destroy me. Are you currently so in litigation with them? I attempted to litigate. And even though U.S. statute guarantees me the right to do that, the court decisions were just mind boggling. I mean, they were um, uh, procedures, for example, that I should have been allowed to carry out. The, the language that I used in the decisions was shifted and reversed. So there was clearly a far-reaching effort to, to prevent me from taking all of this evidence they knew I had into court. Because even in one occasion, one of the attorneys made a mistake and, you know, attached one of, the, one of the legal documents on his desk on me, was inadvertently attached to his letter and sent to me. So, I mean, I wish you could see the file that I have. It's just unmatched. And it's from IRS's data file. And, and how, and I know that they don't have to because it's the IRS and the Treasury Department and the U.S. government. How could they possibly justify any of this? It just doesn't make any sense. How could they find a reason, justification for doing this? How can that's they? In, that's interesting you say that. Well, my notices were delivered to Congress and they were applauded. So IRS turns around and Treasury, Treasury issues a report saying, more oversight of the contractor is needed on the notice redesign contract. Okay, so I performed with not one performance deficiency. I've got all these documents from the commissioner, from number two at IRS and people all over the country at IRS applauding these notices. We delivered them on time, even though IRS, IS people, uh, some of the people who were trying to sabotage us withheld technical documentation. We skipped over that and recreated the documents ourselves. And in the end, they generate this report to give the impression that IRS had to step in and produce what we produced and move on. And then they hand it over to Climate Communications Group. And how dare you be that damn good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, how dare you? It was, it was, uh, I'll never forget in the Treasury meeting, uh, we, we, you know, there was this, you're, you, you know, you, you've been present before, I'm sure at some point in time, when someone wants to communicate to you what they think of you, that you are inconsequential and you are not quite as important as they are. So it was yes. quite, quite interesting to observe. And it, it, if you could have just seen the look on their face when they realized that we had not just jumped in and started writing, when they saw the research behind it, the, the it, you know, it, it was shocking to them. Yeah. And so even in the, when they did the focus groups, I shared with you the last time how um, Treasury had orchestrated this scenario where we had to give our notices to two competitors because Treasury said they wanted to make sure that our, that, that we, they had the best notices possible. And these two competitors were charged with trying to improve upon our notice to do better. And mm -hmm. I knew what that was about. Right, if someone, right. if the taxpayers had said they were better, then they could justify removing us and bringing sure. them in, right? Sure, sure. But they, they were, were given a head start. They were they given were our product. Yeah. yeah. So when it came back, you know, that ours was the best, um, again, uh, you should have seen their faces. So that was the problem with them is that our excellence, our continued performance, they change our critical path in our project timeline. When you change a critical path, you change the timeline. They were constantly doing things like that. We continue to progress, jump over the obstacles and meet the deadline. And they couldn't stand it. 
they could not stand it. And in the so meantime, right. Dick Cheney's company, what was his company? Halliburton. Uh, Hall- Halliburton. No, not ha- Halliburton. Halliburton, yeah. It was Halliburton. Yeah, Halliburton got a no-bid contract yes, for, sure for Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. And, right. they, and they said they got the no-bid contract because, quote-unquote, nobody else can do what we do. And part right. of what they were doing was food service. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so Halliburton that, made so much money yeah. in CSP. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, it's a it is literally a millionaire's graveyard. Yeah, that's what that's what our taxpayer dollars fund. And and, and interestingly, because white is right. Yes, they pit poor black Americans, poor white Americans against each other racially, Mm -hmm. and they're up there in Washington while there's this contention going on down here, and they are getting rich, 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 rich by the hour. And yes. it's been that way since the beginning. I told we were on with yeah. one of our other hosts a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about it. I said, and you're talking about poor whites and poor blacks, and they pit us against one another. And right. they, they, they did that from the, the very beginning. Because if you look at the beginning of this country, they didn't even hire the poor whites to work the fields. They went over to Africa and brought back Africans to work in the fields as slaves. So they've done it yeah. to poor whites also this entire time. Right. But but right. what they've done is they've, they've, they've the, the propaganda, and they've, condition these people to say no matter how bad off i am i'm still better than the black folks black folks yeah you know exactly my condition is attributable to the fact that those black people are getting free stuff yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly Ex- exactly and and that it's and that's really, been going on for generation after generation after, after generation. generation and it's still and it still st- stays today and the people at the top if, if you look at like for example some of the stuff that's going on these the Proud Boys, these white supremacists, those are, those are not high-level people. No. Those are not. generally lower-working-class lower people that are doing that. The people at the top, they're just they the ones pulling. They don't yeah. have time for that. They're just one pulling the strings, no. pitting this group against, against that group other. against that Absolutely. group so they can continue to do their thing. Right, right. So, Gerald, with all of that, after you were able to collect yourself, when you realized what was going on, and they'd been into your office, they'd interrogated your family members, your employees, they'd done all this damage. How long did it take you to decide that this, how wrong it was, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and say, they're not going to get away with it? How long did it take you to do that? Immediately. Okay. I, I Basically, um, when I saw how the termination of my contract was handled. When I saw it was done in surprise fashion. So I was invited to Washington after, um, after they had conducted IRS contracting, IRS legal counsel had been scurrying through files, reading through everything, trying to find a reason to terminate the contract. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that. There was kind of a period of silence where supposedly they were going to redo the work. They just, it, there were so many lies on everything, okay, right? So um, when, when I was, after they flew seven people to my site and really it was to steal my intellectual property to get the copies of the notices because they knew they were quality and they wanted them to pass them to Climate Communications Group, right? So they, they did that under the guise of a site inspection. So a site inspection is used when there are problems on the contract. We had no problems, but they needed to get into the site. So after they completed that site inspection, they t- called me and told me that the site inspection revealed no performance deficiencies. But by the way, we want you to come to Washington. When I got to Washington and I was there with my attorney because they told me to bring the attorney, the one who had told them to get out of my sight and don't come back until you tell us why you're here. Well, we're sitting there. And when they announced we are terminating your contract for convenience of the government immediately. Okay. And I looked up and I looked at the people in the room who didn't need to be there. And I knew they were there to see me see to they wanted to see me break yeah okay and I didn't give them back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I knew at that moment that IRS wanted to injure me 
and I was not going to give them what they wanted. Not at any juncture was I going to give them what they wanted. So my personal preserving my health became very important to me. Um, immediately, I began to, in fact, I didn't even come home. I actually went and bought clothing and I started going to the Black Caucus. I started lobbying Congress. I just immediately went the next day to lobbying, basically making it known what had just happened. I could not find one interested ear or black ear in all of the U.S. Capitol or wow. or wow. SBA or yeah. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Dr. Tayari Howard is on the show right now. And I don't know if he has been a member of the Black Caucus, but I do know several people who've been members of the Black Caucus. And I know that the Black Caucus stands for certain principles. I know they've been around for quite some time. I know that they claim to be right on the spot, Johnny on the spot. And the caucus is made up of Black folks who are in political positions, who claim to have done great things for Black folks in this country. And it amazes me every time I hear that someone has gone to the Black caucus, it ends up nada. It ends up being an attempt, an exercise in futility. And it's the same thing with the NAACP. You guys don't start throwing up things at me, but it's the same thing with the NAACP. It's a, an attempt. It's simply an attempt. It becomes an exercise in futility. And I'm all for both organizations. I am all for both organizations and I support them. But when are they going to stand for the rights of the people, the black people of this country? When are they going to make a take a position that the racism, the assaults that are continuing today, when are they gonna take a position? Well, you know, I was aware there are episodic yes. events. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there are systemic problems. And enough episodic events can be an indication of a systemic failure. Yeah, absolutely, yes. So when I uh, approached, I was aware that there had to be an interest larger than simply my own. Even though my contract was one that really, in some ways, is historic. Okay, it is the fact it really is. Um, and because even the commissioner asked me, do you have any idea what you have accomplished? So I approached the Black Caucus several times. But after my initial approach, I had read over 100 legal cases preparing to litigate myself because IRS literally went into my bank accounts. They gave me false tax debts. They stole hundreds of thousands of dollars. They owe me money today. They just oh kept- Oh my God. They just kept hundreds of thousands of dollars they owed me. They get, I, had, I had no tax debts. When they got done with me, it was just shock and awe. And I was never intimidated by them. I mean, we- the things that I did, that's why I say there just has to be a movie about this because the fight back was epic. Yeah. Okay. We, it, wasn't, it wasn't a brutalization. It was an epic fight back on my part. Uh, now, how could I win against the most powerful government in the world? Well, you know, um, probably not win. If things were fair, I would have won. But I say that to say that it is, uh, when I went to the Black Caucus, I went with, after all of this had happened, I read the 100 cases. It became clear to me that this wasn't just a general problem. This was a problem that was occurring all across the federal landscape. Mm -hmm. And my case was the perfect case to leverage, to demonstrate the need for major revisions major revisions that I identified and could articulate what needed to happen to make 
the landscape veteran, but no one was interested in hearing from me. And I'll never forget one congressional leader told me, well, I'm just not as clean as you. <laughs> now, what? Uh, yeah, we know what that means. I'm just not as clean as you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We know what that means. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And which which is a very sad commentary, which is a, a very, very, sad, very commentary. sad commentary, because I'm just not as clean as you. That is that. But 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 I'm also sure and I'm, I'm and, and and playing devil's advocate here, uh, I'm sure some of them were thinking. So for example, termination for cause is is legal. Yes, I, I just put that in, yes. into the chat. So it's legal. So I, I'm I'm completely on your side. But again, playing devil's advocate here, some perhaps these 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 people you went to at the uh, in the Congress was like, well, they terminated for cause. What can I do? I mean, oh no, it was not for cause. I mean, I mean, termination for convenience, for convenience, and that's legal. So then, what can what 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 could they do? I mean, no, I, I, it I, isn't. outside of just um, uh, I, I, getting it out on the open. Okay, a termination for convenience can be used if it's used in good faith. It becomes illegal when it is used to accomplish a bad faith end. Mm-hmm. So the way in which the termination for convenience was used in my contract was illegal because as history eventually revealed, it was terminated to give it to someone else. It was, you can, all of these are legitimate provisions. Oh, no, I, but I, you yeah. can't terminate a contract for convenience to give it to someone else. Or you can't terminate a contract for convenience when you still need the product. Yeah. At that point, it becomes an illegal use of an available tool. And the unfortunate part about that is the legal system is not set up to make sure things are right. It's the people with the deeper pockets that actually usually get justice on their side. So, and again, I, you know, as, as right as you are, you're as right as rain, as they used to say. Yeah. I'm sure they can come but, up with some sort of way to manipulate the system and say, well, no, we didn't do this. It was that. Or there's, you know, people can use words to manipulate the situation. And can I tell you why that would have been impossible? Yeah, sure. In my case, I'd love to hear that. Because I had about a thousand documents Mm -hmm. where they had announced their intent prior to terminating the contract. So um, I was never allowed to present to even step into a legal arena so someone could even, so I could argue the the, the validity uh, of using the termination for convenience. I was never allowed because the evidence I had were was produced by them on their stationery, acute, telling IRS even, you breached the contract. And I, she's, you know, she's going to challenge your plan to give it to someone else. So all the, the, it's like the FBI told me when they looked at my file because I went into an FBI office. Uh, I've sent this binder. In fact, I recently sent it to the White House and to the U.S. Department of Justice a few weeks ago yet again. But if you saw this document, you would say, where did you get this? And that's exactly what the FBI said to me. They said, we've never seen anything like it. We've never seen anyone walk in here with a file like this. But you can't even get into court. I can't get into court. court. And there are legal statutes that that require that that the that require the federal government to allow every aggrieved contractor to have his or her day in court because that's a way, one way that you help keep the system clean. If people can challenge the actions of contracting officers, then there is at least a vehicle for challenging the propriety of their actions. Statute after statute in federal regulation said I had that right. I've yet to have my day in court. Now they did allow me to bring in a few contract claims, $14,000, so they can say, oh, she came to court. No, I've never had my breach of contract claim in a court of law. And they just want to say, she had her day in court. This is a disgruntled uh, contractor. This is any excuse 
any excuse not to give you what you are due and not to give you your day in court. And the yes. eight, eight, go ahead, go ahead, Gerald. I just wanted to say that, you know, um, the Bible has this verse, one seems right into the other fleets his case. So there's that person and then there's the other. Well, then when you get a third party who is expert in federal contracting, whom I've never met, who went out and conducted a, I think it was a seven month investigation uh, into the depths of this contract, wrote a scathing report, found, far, found even far more than I found. I didn't even know that the firm that ended up with my contract was actually working with Treasury uh, before, while I had my contract. They are actually passing work that's in my scope of work off to her. Uh, this firm found all of that. And what was in the report was unbelievable. Sent it to the U.S. Department of Justice and it got tossed in the trash can. Con major conflict of interest. Major. So, and it, it's, it, someone said here in the chat, this is infuriating. And it is infuriating. This is so infuriating. In fact, it's hard to believe that they spent all this money and went to great lengths just to terminate your contract. They could have terminated your contract in one day, but they had to do all of these things. They had to jump all over the hoops and, and, and just turn it into a major, major ordeal just to terminate your contract. That well, the termination, I, I just want to be clear. The termination was, would have been illegal if it right, was not a termination to, right. for a default. So that's why they went through the hoops because they were trying to find something make me fail so they could yes. terminate me for a default yes. because they knew what the standard was. The problem was I didn't give them the standard they needed. So yes. after they felt like after playing with me, after they had gotten my intellectual property, they figured this out, get, got the work product. They were like, okay, we're just going to take the hit, whatever happens. <laughs> yeah. Let's take the hit. Yeah. And let's yeah. see what this lands. And and they think, you know, we we uh, what what is it got? I got friends in high places. They, you know, and they're up there and it's like, yeah, we'll take the hit. We can afford it, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and that's why I really want people, I want to make sure I announce the name of the film. It's called My Empty Chair Colon. The J E R R O L L Sanders story. That's my empty chair, colon, the Gerald, J E R R O L L Sanders, S A N D E R S story. And it's on YouTube. And I, right now we have about almost 83,000 views. Oh, wow. Great. Um, we have the comments are very interesting and they're coming in daily. And I intend to leverage this encounter, right? You can also grab it on YouTube. Uh, I mean, at my website at GeraldSanders.com forward slash movie. And once you uh, click on view the movie, then you too can hear my story about my $100 million contract I secured and the two top treasury executives who sought to remove that contract and divert it to their friend who had no firm at the time. And so I'm hoping again, that one day I will have an opportunity to expand on this story and to reveal all the details, which I think our children need to hear yeah. and see, because yeah. it shows how uh, excellence can actually uh, be sort of a, a, a protector when yes. people are looking to do dastardly deeds. Yes, and, and they will find a way to do dastardly. Dastardly and bastardly deeds. Dastardly yes. and, and I bastardly. love that. Exactly. Yes. It's dastardly. called racial assault and battery. Because yes. that's what I was subject to. Yes. Let me find out real quick if any of our, our panelists have any comments. Chauncey Brown, any comments or questions for Gerald Saunders? We are not finished with this. There is a part three because we do want Gerald to come back and talk about the film and it doesn't end here. There's so much to this story. There's, oh my God, there's so much. Dr. Tiyari Howard, do you have any questions or comments for Gerald? 
Well, I think the only comment that I would have would be, first of all, I salute her. This is National Women's Month for her story and for the fact that she's not taking it in the backside and she's put it out in the front side, mm -hmm. out to the press, out to the people. And hopefully that door has been closed and God will open up this door and she'll become a national hero, which is what she already is. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And the fact that you are still standing and will stand and you keep moving forward, that in and of itself says so much. Let's go to uh, Leonard Collins. Leonard? Um, yes. Uh, hold on a second. Um, first of all, uh, welcome to the show and uh, a very good show. Um, your story is really, really, really amazing and then it makes me wonder because i have our irs issues um every time i turn around i owe them twenty five hundred dollars yeah um, now it, it because they can basically ruin your life right mm -hmm. and myself and many of us don't have what you present what you possess as the tenacity to stand up for your right and that's where you mentioned the excellence it pays to know it pays to be educated. The unfortunate part that, that, that just chaps my hide, I hate saying it that way, is the, the zero cultural collectivity that exists among us. And this is another example. You should not have to have gone this long without an army of That's individuals right. coming to your rescue. That's right. Uh, and, and so the other part of this, story is it can also be uh catapulted into this is a reason why we need to have cultural collectivity this is a reason why we need to work together you should have had that's several right. hotlines you should have had several hotlines that you could have called but that's not the case so that's neither here nor there um i do want to commend you um and as you stated they they were there to see you break and you didn't give them that pleasure. And, and I salute you, sister. And uh, I'm sure like many of us on this show and many of us uh, walking the same road, um, we're behind you. So Absolutely. when you feel that positive energy uh, coming from somewhere, it's not just coming from God. You know, your ancestors are talking to you. You have an obligation. So That's again, right. uh, I want to salute you, okay? That's right. Absolutely. Thank you Absolutely. so very much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And we, we support you 1 million percent. And we know that this story has got to continue to be told. You've got to keep it out there. And people need to know about this. They need to know about this. And I did send it to Karen Slade and Preston Holmes. Karen Slade is the GM at KJLH in LA. And Preston Holmes is one of the executive directors of A Birth of a Nation. This story must be told. And as I said, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We're going to bring you back so that we can continue this discussion because there's so much to it. There's so much to it. It took, it took a short period of time for them to try to destroy you after you had put in all this work. And you're still standing. You're still strong. You're still tough. You keep it moving. And this is clearly the epitome of keeping moving. And, and if I may say, sure. uh, I encourage Absolutely. your listeners to look at um, Change is on Us. Uh, I have been engaged. I've written one of the most sweeping policing policies in the nation that police officers across the nation and uh, some of the top, uh, I should, uh, you know, some of the top, I should say, black police officers across the nation have admitted that it is the solution to policing. It's called the Uniform Reporting Law Enforcement Improvement Act. And in fact, many provisions in our uh, act were pulled and uh, showed up in the George Floyd Act. And you can learn about that at changeisonus.org. Changeisonus.org. Thank you, Gerald. And we will be having you back for part three. So we will have you back for part three. So thank you very much. You have been listening to Intentional Thank you Talk so Rate. much. It's been a pleasure. Great. Well, don't forget part three 
Don't forget part three. I'm there. I'm there. All right. Great. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This is Intentional Talk Radio Network. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow with the mix conversations with Tola and Paula. So thank you very much. Be safe going home. You are listening to the Talk Radio Network. Get this and all of our broadcasts on ITRN Radio or your favorite podcast platform. Have a good night, everyone. Be safe. Good night. Good night.